since it's Friday, that means the weekend is here and the Lord's Day is coming. And I want all of you to make sure you are very active in a local body of believers. You know that I feel very strongly everyone needs a home church. Everyone needs to be participating in the worship and fellowship and service and prayer and praise and study opportunities of a local congregation. So if you don't have a place like that, you need to go out and find it and get plugged in. If you happen to be looking anywhere near the Elkhart East Christian Church building, please come check us out. Maybe we can be the place you can settle down and call your church home. Let us open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 6, the part of the book that so many people uh, love and run to. Now, I already kind of broke a little bit of your visualization about this by saying that uh, the Paul that Paul was certainly changed, chained to a plain-clothed Roman soldier because that was the standard inside the walls of Rome where he is living right now. The Praetorian Guard did not wear the battle uniforms that you see uh, elsewhere in the Roman world. And so Paul is not pulling the visual that we're about to talk about from the guy that's chained to him right now. He's actually going to be pulling it out of the thing that he's much more familiar with, and that is Old Testament Scripture. And I'll show you that momentarily. But first, let's go back to Ephesians 6.10 and set the stage very carefully again. Paul is wrapping up, so he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So this is about taking Jesus' strength upon ourselves to deal with the fight that we're going to find ourselves in. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that is the armor that belongs to God, as we will see, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes being the methodologies, the battle plan of Satan and all his forces. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The human beings are not the problem. They are a symptom of the problem, which is spiritual warfare. Satan and his cronies don't like us. They never have. And so they have done their best to drive a wedge between us and God and between us and other human beings. And Paul says, don't get sucked in by that. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, against human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, The heavenly places is the unseen world. And so there is this war that's going on all around us. It's raging right now. And it's in the spirit world. And it's directed against human beings to bring us out of connection with God the Father. 
And the way you fight spiritual war is to wear spiritual clothing, to wear spiritual army or armor. And so that's where Paul goes next. And he uses as his source material the book of Isaiah. And you will see that momentarily. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You know, don't just, you know, put something on your feet and think that's good enough. Don't stick something on your head and think that's good enough. You need all of God's protection. So get dressed completely for God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And we've got plenty of that, don't we? And having done all to stand firm. So we want to get dressed up for the battle. And this will help us get through the battle to the other side. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, this is the first place that I told you we were going to go. I gave you the assignment to read in Isaiah chapter 11. And we were running out of time, so I very quickly referenced things in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, it is a messianic passage. Let's read it. Isaiah 11, 1, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This is a prophecy about how the, the Davidic line, the royal Davidic line, was going to get chopped off, which it did in the Old Testament stories. But it would re-sprout at a later date. And this sprout, this netzer, uh, which is where the Jewish people get the name Netzerin, which is Nazareth's name, um, it, it's referenced here to the idea of a restart to the kingdom of David. And so here is this Nezer, this Nazarene that we know of as Jesus. And here's a description of him. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength. You know, we need that strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So all this belongs to Jesus. He will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. See, this was a problem in the time of Isaiah where human judges would make calls based on their own prejudices, based on their own limited senses, and they would make bad calls. Well, the Messiah, Jesus, is going to know everyone from the heart outward. And so he will make all the correct calls. Verse 4, with righteousness he will judge the poor. He will decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. That's some references we see fulfilled in the New Testament books like uh, Isaiah, excuse me, uh, like Book of Revelation, 
First uh, uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. Jesus, when he comes in his glory, in his 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 wrath, he will take down the wicked ones, and then he will rule this world in his millennial kingdom with the rod of his mouth. He will call the shots during that time as King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So all of that is the preface, the the verbiage that leads up to where Paul quotes or alludes to. Verse 5, also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. So Jesus was dressed in righteousness. He he had everything tied together with his righteousness and with his faithfulness, with his truthfulness. Uh, He came prepared to work. Uh, One of the things that the Old Testament people did with uh, belts is since they wore robes, not pants, but robes, if they needed to run, and if they were a soldier, they would definitely need to run at different points. They would do what we refer to as girding the loins, which means you would reach down and then behind, between your legs, grab the tail of your robe, and then you would pull it up forward and tuck it into your belt. And you basically just made yourself some off. Uh, athletic shorts, and you made it a lot easier for you to move uh, in uh, the right ways to accomplish your job. So that's Jesus. Jesus came in truth. Jesus came in righteousness. He got himself ready to save us. The next passage that Paul is clearly referencing is in Isaiah 59. Now, Isaiah 59, I have to break into the context somewhere because it's too long for us to to read, but it's basically this idea that Isaiah says, we're all living as sinners. We are screwed up big time, okay? So that's his overarching theme. Uh, Isaiah 59, 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, the you here is God. Our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Um, Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter yes truth is lacking for he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey so things are messed up they are bad and that's still true to this moment and then isaiah prophetically presents this. Now, he who is Saul, that's God's special name, remember. The Lord saw all this, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. 
So it didn't make God happy to survey planet Earth and see that things were this messed up. And then, verse 16, he saw that there was no man, that is, no one that can do anything about this messed up situation. And he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. So not only did God see that things are messed up, he also takes note, there is no one that can fix this. There are no human beings down there that can fix this sin problem. Then it says, his own arm brought salvation to him, and his uprightness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate. That's exactly what Paul said that we should be putting on, a breastplate of righteousness. It comes here in the Isaiah passage where Jesus decided, if no one else can take care of it, I'll go down and take care of it. So he put on righteousness like a breastplate, and he put a helmet of salvation on his head. And you will see that also mentioned uh, in the context. Uh, And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself with zeal as with a mantle. And then according to their deeds, so he will repay. Uh, Wrath to his adversaries and recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense. So Jesus will come down and he will deal out justice against the unrighteous, the ones that are causing trouble. But in the process... He's going to save a whole bunch of people. Uh, It says in uh, verse number 19 of Isaiah 59, And so they will fear the name of he who is from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun, that be the east. For he will come like a rushing stream with the wind, which the wind of he who is drives, a redeemer will come to Zion. What's a redeemer? A person who pays the price to get people out of debt. And that's exactly where we all were. We were in the eternal debt of sin. And we couldn't fix it. It was a mess. Jesus saw that it was a mess and he says, I'll go down there and take care of it. And he came dressed for the occasion. Uh, To those who turn from transgression in Jacob declares he who is. So Jesus is the one that was wearing this uniform, this this armor of God when he invaded planet earth in order to save us from our sins. And then one last passage uh, before we go back to the Ephesians 6 and kind of tie it all together. It comes from Isaiah 52, starting at verse 7. And a lot of times this is a... um, A Christmas card verse. Verse number seven says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says in Zion, Your God reigns. And so Isaiah pictures this idea of, 
of somebody bringing good news of God's intervention. And they're running along and their feet are shod with the gospel of peace, if you will. Uh, They came running uh, with God's good news. And so those are the passages of Scripture that Paul was familiar with that he incorporates into Ephesians chapter 6. So let's read again from verse 14. So we're supposed to put on this same armor that Jesus used to save us. We put it on because it's been tested by him. It's been proved it'll work. So we put this on and keep the fight going. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we take Jesus as our truth. He ties it all together. We take his righteousness upon us to protect us from being killed by the other side. Verse 5, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That is, we want to run out all over the place And tell the people who are lost, tell the people who are caught up in this this horrible war carried on by the haters of our soul, by Satan and his minions. We want to tell them, Jesus died for your sins and rose again for your justification. Believe the gospel. Verse number six, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now, what's a shield for? A shield is to protect you from incoming fire, from incoming thrusts. And what is it that keeps us from being penetrated by the other side's weapons? It's our faith. That's what overcomes it. Our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, In the ancient world, they had a nasty habit of setting their arrows on fire before they shot them in massive volleys into the opposing camp. And if it landed on your equipment, it could burn it up. And so many of the shields were designed in such a way that if they were hit by something that was on fire, that that would promote that fire being extinguished quickly, not spread. And so that's what Paul says. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that will help you from the assaults that are coming from the other side. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is a liar and a slanderer, and his whole goal is to separate us from God. And so we need to have faith in Jesus Christ so that Satan can't get a foothold back into our redeemed lives. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. The purpose of a helmet was to keep you from getting your brains wrung. You know, keep you from getting slammed in such a way that you lost consciousness or you got dazed. Well, Jesus Christ is our salvation. He brought 
himself into this world, salvation, and handed it off to us. And we need to be wearing that. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the offensive weapon, the only one we've got. And it is God's inspired Word. It's right here in front of us, right now. We need to know how to use it. You know, back when I was in the military, we had to go through regular weapon training and know how to use it. Because if you don't know how to use it, it is worthless to you. And so that is what we're doing right now. We are doing weapons training with the Word of God. Uh, And so we need to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then we need the energy and we need the instruction from higher headquarters. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we've got to keep connection with headquarters. Find out what are our orders, what's our status, what's the situation, what should we be engaging in. That's what we do when we pray. We're keeping connection with higher headquarters. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. One of the other things we need to understand is no one fights a battle by themselves. We are part of a larger group. And so we need to pray for them just like they're praying for us because we're all in this together, all of us. Uh, Verse number 19, Paul makes it personal. And also for me. So, So, you know, make supplication for all the other Christians, but also make sure you pray for me. Uh, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may not have ever thought of it, but Paul sometimes got tired of all the things that were happening to him. And as is the temptation, and we see this uh, in Old Testament examples as well, the temptation for those that have been charged to speak the Word of God when they feel that they've just been beating their head against a brick wall, nobody is listening, everybody is doing the opposite of what uh, the speaker for God is saying, the temptation always is, it's fine, Nobody's listening to me. I'm going to just shut up. Uh, And so in the Old Testament, one such prophet tried that, and he said, well, after I tried that, it was like fire in my bones. I had to get it out. I had to say something. Uh, So here is Paul saying, you know what? I need your prayer support. I need you to pray that I will keep opening my mouth, that I will keep being bold in speaking to people about the top secret information of the gospel, which is now all out in the clear. It's all out in the open uh, that Jesus died for our sins and 
was buried and rose again on the third day. All of this according to the Jewish scripture, that he was seen alive by many reliable witnesses. He ascended on high and he's coming again. Paul says, you pray that I'll just keep talking about that. Uh, He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador represents the interests of one country inside the boundaries of another country. And so here is the Apostle Paul. He is Jesus Christ's ambassador at Rome. He's been sitting there for a couple of years, waiting for his chance to talk to no other than Nero Caesar. He wants to be Christ's ambassador to the emperor of the Roman world. Now, it's true, he says, I'm in chains. That's true. But I am still Christ's ambassador, and I need you to pray that I will, when that opportunity presents itself, speak on behalf of Jesus Christ to those that need to hear it. Then he wraps it all up. So that you may know that I am and what I'm doing, uh, Tychicus, uh, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So Tychicus is going to uh, be traveling along with this letter and the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Mr. Philemon. Uh, He apparently uh, drops this letter off at Ephesus uh, and makes, uh, you know, some sort of uh, appearance with the people there and explains what's going on in Rome and perhaps how close Paul is to having his hearing. Uh, And then after that, uh, Tychicus will head over to Colossae and do the same thing there. Verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I anticipate that he's actually bringing good news that the lawyers are telling the Apostle Paul that his case is going to be heard very soon. And of course, they're all anticipating that once Nero hears the appeal, that he will drop all charges, which is evidently what happened. Now Paul finishes the letter. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wishes good things to those that are reading this letter. And then his typical wrap-up, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace is unmerited favor, and all of us as Christians wish for that to rest upon all other people so that they can be loved and love.